Chapter Three of Priest on Horseback, Father Farmer, seventeen twenty to seventeen eighty six, by Eva K. Betts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Three Rescue. Father Farmer vaulted up on his horse and swung him around to face the direction from which the young man had come. He beckoned the lad to leap up behind him. As he swept past the door of the glass shed, he leaned from his saddle and snatched a long blowpipe from a man who had run to the door when the alarm came. "'You direct me to where your father is,' the priest said to the frightened boy. "'The others will follow as soon as they can saddle their horses and hitch a wagon.' There was such assurance in his voice that the boy at once calmed down. Over the fence, across a field, then along a footpath towards some woods. "'Watch your eyes!' yelled the boy. This hasn't been cleared for riding, but it's the quickest way. Low branches slapping and slashing at his face had already told Father Farmer that not many horsemen came this way. He hunched his shoulders and ducked his head, but even so his ears, cheeks, and chin were raked. The sand pits are close by here. Just as the boy spoke, they left the woods and came upon a wide field sparsely covered with stiff beech grass. A dune or hillock of the sandy soil was at the far side. From the ground, a couple of beams protruded at crazy angles. The boy flung himself from the horse. Father Farmer followed suit, sliding the reins over the horse's head and leaving them dangling to the ground so the animals would think himself tethered. Both ran to where the beams were. We were shoring up the side of the pit when somehow one of the timbers fell, pinning my father by the legs. His head is near that beam with the bark still on it. Father Farmer walked lightly and quickly to the place indicated. He could see the head and shoulders of a man lying down flat on the sand. His legs were pinned at the hips by a heavy shoring timber, which had fallen across him, and which itself was now covered by sand. More sand was slowly sliding down onto him. Fortunately, his head was turned and resting on one bent arm. Father, are you all right? There was terror in the boy's voice. Yes. Is help coming, Jacob? The men from the glass house will be here in a moment. I brought a stranger with me. My name is Farmer, said the priest. I have a blowpipe from the glass house. Suppose we put that near your lips. Then, in case the slide is worse before we get you free, you can breathe easily even if your face is covered. The man on the ground did not answer for a moment. Then he spoke in very weak tones. See if you can get it near to me without making the slide worse. I can't move my arms to help you, you know. Oh, I hope help comes soon. This weight is crushing me. At Father Farmer's direction, Jacob moved to the far side of the little hill from which Sam was being taken. Dropping to all fours to distribute his weight, he crawled up the hill into the overhang which threatened his father's life. He pulled the blowpipe up to him and then called to the priest. Watch and tell me where to place this. I don't dare go near enough to the edge to look down. Go ahead. I'll call directions. Carefully, the boy lowered the blowpipe. A little more to your left. No, your left. Jacob moved the pipe. It was an awkward, almost impossible task, because the pipe was heavy, and he had only a finger hold on its end. Farther, farther, called Father Farmer. No, that's too far now. Just a tiny bit back. Ah, the exclamation of satisfaction came just as Jacob felt a slight pull on the pipe. 
It is in finger's reach, said the trap man. I can steady it down here, but what will keep it upright? I'll stay here and hold this end in place, said Jacob. The sound of horses pounding into the open space was a welcome one to the ears of the three men at the sand pit. Father Farmer turned his head for a moment. He looked back just in time to see a little more of the sand slide, probably loosened by the vibration of the earth, set up by the hoofbeats. The head of the imprisoned man was now almost completely covered. Only the blowpipe connected him with the world of the living. The men from the glass house, aware of the danger of a greater slide, left their horses at some distance, and scattering and fanning out as far as possible, converged on the danger spot. Is Diner under there? Martin Alter's voice was tense. What is that Jacob is holding? A blowpipe I snatched as I came. His father can move one hand a little. Enough, anyway, so he can keep the other end at his lips to breathe through. Martin flashed a glance of appreciation at the priest, then hurried over to where the men were working. Richard Wister had deployed his men with the skill of a general before battle. Some were carefully inching in wide planks to make a sort of dry dock to hold back a flood of sand from where the trap man lay. Others had begun digging near his feet, farthest from the sand bank. They wanted to uncover his legs and get at the timber, which was pinning him down. They could not use the spade, as it was meant to be used, with a plunge and lift. Rather, it had to be more of a scraping, scratching motion. And all the while, Jacob Steiner lay on the top of the hillock, arms stretched full length above his head, fingers bloodless, so tight was their grip on the life-giving pipe. Father Farmer was aware that the men were working as an efficient team, that if he were to try to help, it would only confuse things. So he remained apart, doing his share by praying fervently. Bit by bit, Mr. Steiner's legs were uncovered. It seemed an interminable time, although the men were working with all possible speed. Inch by inch, the heavy timber was moved from his hips and at last thrown aside. That accomplished, the men seemed inspired to work even more quickly and skillfully. They worked now from Steiner's head down. As each area was cleared, a plank was slid in to keep the sand from flowing back. At last the sand was all away. Mr. Steiner moved feebly, barely conscious, but alive. Tenderly the men lifted him and carried him to the sand cart, which stood a little distance away. He tried to protest, saying he was able to walk, but they could see he was too weak. "'If you hadn't thought so fast,' said Jacob, grasping Father Farmer's hand, "'I don't know. I can't say.' Go along with your father, said the priest kindly. I know what is in your heart. Jacob hesitated a moment, then ran to catch up with the wagon, which had now left the field and entered the lane. Father Farmer's part in the drama was over. He could be of no further help, so he did not intrude. He moved towards his horse, mounted, and followed slowly. The Lawrence house was a busy one the following day. The first caller was Mrs. Steiner. My son has told me that, except for you, I would be a widow today, Father Farmer, she began. I want to thank you. Now, I know that you are a Catholic priest. It is no secret here. But did you know that my husband is a Lutheran? We all are. Father Farmer smiled. Should that make a difference when a man's life is in danger? He asked gently. How is he today? Better, I hope. He is in some pain, but very grateful to be alive. 
I made a poultice of soapwort to heal the cuts he received from the timber. That and the crushed roots of Solomon's seal laid on the bruises will soon have him well again. But I came at his request, and that of my son, to ask how we can repay you. Father Farmer was silent a moment. He knew that it must have been a difficult, possibly even frightening thing for this woman to come and speak to a Catholic priest. The stiffness she showed was not unfriendliness, but lack of assurance in a strange situation. He understood that words of thanks would not content her nor the men of her family. Yet there was certainly nothing he needed that they could give. Then, suddenly, he had an inspiration. Along Alway's Creek there are three brothers. Hoss is their name. He went on to tell Sebastian's disappointment in coming back from Philadelphia without his bride. The young man was going to work hard to raise the money to pay Greta's indenture, and, in the meantime, was going to plant a little garden to have ready for her. I know that Sobart and Solomon's seal both grow wild, he said, but perhaps you have in your garden some herbs that Greta would like to have, or perhaps a rose bush or some kind of flowers. Mrs. Steiner beamed. Of course. I will start a brew of privet for her. The crushed leaves are good against bleeding, and primroses, a good treatment for any wound, and— Young Greta will have a good start, I know, said Father Farmer, laughing, and I will be in your debt. As he spoke, he moved toward the door. You will give my best wishes to your husband, and tell him he is in my prayers. Mrs. Steiner gulped a little. Then, bravely, she repeated her thanks and said good-bye. It seemed very strange to her to have been talking to a Catholic priest, and liking him, too. The rest of the day was a busy one for Father Farmer. Word had spread that he was in the neighborhood, spread more rapidly because of the dramatic incident in which he had played a part. Several young couples, who had been married by an exchange of vows before assembled relatives and neighbors, now came to have the marriages blessed. Two or three babies, who had been born since the priest had come that way, were brought in for baptism. The people who came from some distance bedded down wherever there was shelter. They all wanted to attend Mass the following day. It was late before Father Farmer was free to unpack his saddle roll. Now he shook out the vestments and unwrapped the chalice, the altar stone, the host, and the small flask of wine. His oils, stole, and breviary had been taken from their case earlier. He was ready for the next day. End of Chapter 3 Recording by Maria Therese